Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to a very special episode of Academy Queens on Patreon. This is the Academy Queen pick of the class of 1956. I am Joey Gentili. As I stated earlier in an episode earlier this month, Brandon will be back next month. So this is the final Brandonless episode as he is still doing, getting his self together, his life together with his boyfriend. They moved across the country to Texas. Salute to you, sir. But I have not one, but two very special guests that I can see in front of me today. You guys can only hear us. One you've heard before. The other is an AQ virgin. Um, so let's start. Let's bring back who you've heard before from Fritz and the Oscars. The wonderful, wonderful write-ups he does, not only on his Twitter page, but his blog, and now an amazing set of movies. Yes, movies on the actress races. Seriously, grab yourself a bowl of popcorn and enjoy them. They are amazing. From the class of 2001, our good friend, Fritz. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> love that. Love that. It's so nice to have you back. Um Seriously, I I always love going back and forth with you on Twitter, so it's nice to have you here. Um, and this time, I can see you. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I try not to say really so much uh, this time, but uh, I will probably fail. So I'm really happy to be here again. Really, really happy. You absolutely have this thing about the way that you seem to say too much, and I keep telling you, you need to say more. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, but you are not our only German-infused guest today because we are, we are doing a double do doses, double dosage of Deutschland with the very first time on the show, a pretty good companion on Oscar Talk. He does really awesome quizzes to check those out. They're always fun. On Twitter, we have Christoph. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for having me as well. And you are so welcome. I know that we had talked about getting you on the show before we went on hiatus. And then, of course, we went on a hiatus for the main show. And I was like, ah, I got to get him on still. So here we are. I'm so sorry it's Brandonless. And so I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I'm sure that I will be. Oh, do you hear the cat? The cat's in the background. Um, I am so sure that I will be uh, wrangled in just as much with you two. And you guys have a step up from me because I don't speak German. And you guys can probably just talk all the shit you want. So go for it. But if we talk shit about you, we'll do it in English. <laughs> just as we do on Twitter all the time anyway. That is true. That is true. Um, Christoph, a, a question we always ask people who have never been on the show before, how did you find Academy Queens? Because you've been with us for a while. I have been with you since the 70s, and I'm fairly certain I found you on Twitter first and then checked uh, the episodes. There weren't that many at the time. I've been listening back to them, uh, been commenting on them as I binge listened them, and then somehow stuck around with you. Yes, you did. 
Any um, any big moments in the show stand out for you? I I, I think I've blocked out most of your worst offenses. <laughs> <laughs> it surely must have been something that you did. I, 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 I dimly remember some very outrageous things that you said about Liza Minnelli on the 1972 episode. So 72 was also the one I just thought about. Hey, I mean, the thing is, though, is that, like, I get it. I get it. She's an icon. She's a legend. She is the moment. Um, but I stand by that. Liza Minnelli played Liza Minnelli in Cabaret, and Diana Ross was right there. And I feel validated, yeah. though, because that was the first time Brandon and I also agreed on a Best Actress win, was Diana Ross. So Yeah, but she, was, but she, but she wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys both have Diana Ross as your winner that year? Liza Minnelli is the name. Yeah, I mean, Liza, Liza Minnelli, you, yeah. You're not, yeah, you pronounce it Liza. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Liza with a Z, not Liza with an S, because Liza with an S is Lisa. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched Halston on Netflix. I tried watching the first episode. I'm not too impressed, and I'm not too impressed with that Liza Minnelli, but people seem to love her, so whatever. Um, all right, guys. The class of 1956. Do you want to tell everyone how you decided on this? And I just kind of was like, are we there yet? <laughs> We just had a very orderly discussion, weighed pros and cons, and yes. after a very short deliberation, we ended up on 1956. Now, I yeah, like... it, was, it was a civil compromise. And by civil, there were so many moments where I think we had a, a, a year picked, and then Chris Huff was like, I'm not revisiting those movies. <laughs> and we're like, all right, all right, that works, that works. Um, but you guys... I, I dimly remember a third person in the room just... With, with their arms crossed, saying, "Get together," <laughs> like a small kid. I want your best actress ways. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, because we were we were talking about doing picture director eighty two because Das Boot is in there, and I was like, no, like I mean, l listen, I'm about it, but I, no, who said no in this group? Was it Christoph? I. I, I suggested this, it twice. Yeah, I think this might have been me. Okay. I think I, I, I was the party pooper there. Well, which is fine, too, because, I mean, it's you two. We have to talk about actresses. But I was like, I love Das Boot. I got introduced to Das Boot at the age of nine. I think, yeah. I think I suggested a lot of different best actress races that, that Christoph then rejected. Yes. <laughs> but we settled on 56. We Yeah, we settled on 56. And... Christoph, since it's your first time with us, let's let's get started. Who do you think that Fritz and I are picking as this year's winners? Okay, for you, Joey, for lead, if you go anywhere else but Carol Baker, it would be a huge surprise. Supporting, I think, is wide open. I could see you go almost anywhere for supporting even Mercedes McCambridge, although I know you hate Giant, but somehow Dorothy Malone seems like the most Joey-ish of them all. Uh, Fritz for lead, either Ingrid Bergman or Deborah Carr. I got a feeling maybe Deborah Carr. And for supporting, I think I'm going to say Dorothy Malone for you as well. And Fritz, what are your guesses? So for you, Joey, it's difficult because I think 56 is a year with so many bad shit perf crazy performances <laughs> that would all fill your your criteria for Joey picks. Um, but I think you won't go for the 
obvious crazy choices. And I also think that you will pick um, Carol Baker for lead. And for supporting, I think you might go with Patty McCormick. I have a feeling you might like the, the killer child. <laughs> All right. And Christoph, I think for you lead Carol Baker as well. And for supporting, I actually have no idea. My guess is Eileen Hackard. So I'm going to start with Christoph. I, I don't know why for you, Catherine Hepburn is just speaking to me. There's something about it. Maybe I also see you as that old dame trying to get married. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to go with my gut feeling and say Catherine Hepburn for you. Uh, in supporting, I mean, listen, this... This is a race for everyone, I feel, that we I think we can all be in agreement on that this is wide open in terms of who our personal winner is. I mean, you could surprise us and be like, Mildred Dunnock just gave the best supporting actress performance of all time, or you could be like, I agree with the Academy and say Dorothy Malone. So I'm just going to go with a curveball, and I'm going to say Mercedes McCambridge and her Texan accent just really sold you. I doubt it's going to happen, but I'm just going to say it. Why not? Um, Fritz, I know for sure you're not picking Nancy Kelly. I, that's, I'm, I know that's not coming from you. So I want to say you're actually going to go Deborah Carr. I agree with Kristoff there. I think Deborah Carr is right up your alley. Here we are in supporting. So I'm going to say you agree with the Academy and go Dorothy Malone. But... I, 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 am I so predictable? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm either predictable or not predictable, so you never know. Let's see. Let's see. You never know. All right, gentlemen, start your engines. We ready for this? And as a reminder, your Best Supporting Actress nominees were... Mildred Dunnick in Baby Doll, Eileen Heckard in The Bad Seed, Mercedes McCambridge in Giant, Patty McCormick in The Bad Seed, and Dorothy Malone in Written on the Wind. All right, let's start off with this year's winner, Dorothy Malone. She plays uh, Mary Lee Headley in Written on the Win. This is her sole nomination and win. Going into Oscar night, now, guys, remember, precursors uh, for the listeners were very different back then. They didn't really mean, mean anything, and they didn't always line up exactly, but th so this is what we've got. She is nominated at the Golden Globes for supporting, and she has a Laurel Award, which is no longer a thing. Uh, she wins there for supporting. In Written on the Wind... This bitch is so horny. This whole lineup is about horny women, and I'm here for it, pretty much. Well, not a, not the all, but with, between this and Baby Doll, it's a very horny year. I mean, even the Rainmaker, Catherine Hepburn is horny. Um, but uh, in again, uh, Dorothy plays Mary Lee, who is a woman on a mission to to fill all of her needs and holes. I'll just say that, and it literally drives. Her family wild. Her dad dies from her horniness. It starts all this drama, and she wins the Oscar. So, Kristoff, how do you feel about her? Let's talk. I think you could say a lot of things about Dorothy Malone's performance in the film, but there's one thing you cannot say about it. It is not a boring performance. She... I think you could either say that the performance is terrific or the performance is just too over the top, uh, but she really sinks her teeth into it and i think it's just exactly the right kind of performance that she needs to give for this material because written on the wind if you take her out of it it's quite a soap opera with a lot of emotions that uh you don't really don't 
don't necessarily make for a compelling film, but then just she is in there and she goes for high melodrama, maybe even high camp at times. She's just enjoying herself. She's stirring the pot. She's having a drink. She's she's looking for man. Um, early in the film, she's instigating almost a situation where men are brawling over her and she's clearly enjoying herself and she's glancing at the entire thing. And a little later in the film, she does pretty much a similar thing with somewhat higher stakes and she's still enjoying herself. And then right at the end, there's this great courtroom scene, which maybe doesn't really make a lot of sense, narratively speaking, but she's completely selling every moment she's doing right until the final scene when she's basically caressing the giant phallus that is standing on her desk. So she is, she, she is obviously having a lot of fun. She is taking, she, she is making a film that could have been very dull without her, just worth watching for what she does for seeing her enjoy herself. It's, it's, it's clearly the best thing about the entire film and I enjoy her a lot watching it. I'm going to go on that really quick just because he uh, sidelined everyone. He just has something come up, so no big. I'll start. Um, Dorothy Malone. I had only seen uh, pictures of Dorothy Malone in this movie. This movie is not, at least in the United States, you can't stream it anywhere. It's not, you can't, it's one of those films you can't just go to Amazon and be like, written on the wind and play. I had to become a pirate to watch this movie. And... And Christoph is works for the government, so I I know I'm, I'm getting a no no. And listen, I get it, but it's not I I have to for some of this. Don't judge me; that's my business. So, um, I didn't know what this movie was going into it, and the fact that I this is at a time with oh, what was that um, what was that law like? You couldn't have certain things in movies. What was it called? Haze code. Yes, the haze code. It's so funny to me with the Hayes Code because it's like normally during this time with the Hayes Code with women, women like her were punished in like death or like something bad happened. And she's just riding, I mean, no pun intended, but she is just riding the wave of her hoariness. And I say that with love because it's like, I feel her. <laughs> like, I get it. I, I had tweeted, I was like, I feel like Dorothy Malone was the catalyst for Samantha Jones and Sex in the City because that's I mean that's Kim Cattrall could do this role now but it would be so much like Samantha Jones it's crazy um I think she's having a lot of fun here and I think because of like you said uh Christoph that the film works because she's there like the film would be very boring if she was there I remember I had what maybe 45 minutes into the film I had messaged you guys and I'm like I don't know what this movie's about still and, <laughs> and Fritz just said it perfect low sperm count and then it just clicked because for some reason I just wasn't paying attention oh it was Kristoff hey thank you for that um you can cut into me by the way it's fine um there I just didn't find myself interested unless she was on screen so the screen presence is there it's fantastic and I think this is a lot of fun is this something that I want to see again maybe down the road but if I'm going to watch this again it's literally for Dorothy Malone. And that is a testament to like making the best of what you have. So uh, the floor is yours, Mr. Fritz. Yeah. Um, sorry for that. I hope um, might get interrupted again because the phone just ringed. I think my parents called. Uh, nobody calls me all day and now everybody. You're fine. Um, so I basically agree with all that you said. Um, 
it's totally true that Dorothy Malone is what makes Written on the Wind. Um, it's a performance that, as Christoph said, can really only exist in this kind of movie and would be successful. Um, I, I thought, I don't know, in On the Waterfront, um, Lee J. Cobb's character could have a horny daughter who wants to go to bed with Marlon Brando, but imagine if Dorothy Malone's performance would be dropped into On the Waterfront. It would be, you would think, what the hell is she doing there? But in Witten on the Wind, it just totally works. I mean, you have um, Rock Hudson and Lauren Bacall, and they give very normal performances, just like they would give in every other movie. And that's why you are so bored watching them. Um, I also have to give credit to Robert Stack as her brother. I think he also gives the performance, the kind of performance that this movie needs. And these two are really the reason why you want to watch them. Um, do I think it's an all-time great performance? No. Um, I know that film Twitter, a lot of people are crazy about her. Um, I think she is effective and really elevates her material. Oh, that was really. Um, she's a little bit too over the top for me occasionally. I think in some the scenes, the way she wrinkles up her face or the drama at the courtroom scenes sometimes feels a little bit too much. Um, I also just want to add what the scene at the beginning when she and Rock Hudson are sitting in this car. I, it drives me crazy. Yeah, the way she drives, see how she spins that wheel right and left and right and left and how she's not going off the road. Um, but okay, I guess that's, I don't know if that's her fault, but I don't want to hold that against her. Um, yeah, I, I think she's really great. Um, I don't really think I have anything to add here. Um, Joey, I think you summarized her character perfectly. Her horniness basically kills everyone inside. <laughs> um, but she totally lives up to that. I'm, uh, at the beginning, I think Robert Stuck even talks about her character. So there's a lot of setup for her performance. And you kind of wait for her. And when she comes, Dorothy Malone does not disappoint. Yeah, I'm glad that we all agreed on the driving thing because I, I watched this and I'm like, what is this? Like, insanity. But I wanted, uh, um, Fritz, start with this and then Christoph follow him with this. Um, you brought up Robert Stack, who I didn't know until I looked it up, got a supporting actor nomination. Well, how do you guys feel about that? Would he have been your winner that year? I haven't seen all of them in the other categories, so what are your thoughts on from, Stack? From what I know, he was actually the favorite. So um, it appears that Angie Quinn's win was an upset. Um, I personally, I think out of the lineup, I might have given it to him. I think he succeeds in the same way with his part as Dorothy Malone succeeds with her part. And those two are the main reason to watch this movie. I just looked at the nominees that he has for Best Supporting Act. And I think out of this particular lineup, he's, he's a clear and easy and obvious winner. Um, there's... Don Murray there, who's not supporting. There's Anthony Perkins getting his only Oscar nomination. There's Mickey Rooney in The Bold and the Brave, which you barely remember. Anthony Quinn is quite okay in Lost for Life, but Robert Stagg is clearly the winner of this lineup for me. I, I remember that I liked Anthony Quinn in Lost for Life, and maybe we can just take this quick opportunity and say that um, he is not in this movie for only eight minutes. I think this is a very popular urban legend. This is even an inside Oscar. I think he has more than 20 minutes of screen time in Lust for Life. So just to 
make that clear. Well, it's funny too because I again precursors were very different then, and so I looked at Robert Stack just now, and he didn't have anything but the Laurel win. So to hear that he was the favorite is interesting because well, listen, we'll never do the year. I doubt we'll ever do the year, and if we do, here's a spoiler. But like, if we were to do like supporting actor 1960 or like the men, like I don't like the apartment, but what uh, Jack Crucian is the only win I would give there. I love him in that movie. Joey. That was it. I'm no longer talking to you. I think it was nice being here, but just hearing you say I don't like the apartment, I think I might just end it here. I don't like the apartment. And um, and so it's funny to me because I look at like Jack Crucian's nomination. That's all he got for the apartment. I was like, oh, that's Robert Stack, essentially. You know what I mean? So to hear like what is considered the front runner then is so interesting. Yeah. I think you better... Especially fifty, uh, I think right. Uh, you probably need to go into the eighties to put more focus on the precursors. Yeah. So fifties, this was really not a time when they mattered. So you could win an Oscar without any precursor at all. Yeah, it would have been like Vanessa Kirby winning this year had that happened. Yeah, but you could also win an Oscar without being nominated for any precursors. So they really mm-hmm. did their own thing back then. Yep. Well, gentlemen, anything else on uh, Dorothy Malone before we move on? Mm, just thinking. I mean, it makes total sense for her to to last after Rock Hudson and in, in his prime. So good for her. Yeah. Listen, I between this and Giant, I got a lot of Rock Hudson this year, and I was n- I was not complaining. You also got a lot of Yul Brynner, but I think we'll talk more about him later. We will. We or will. at least mention it. I would also like to, before we go on, I would like to say that I would like to clarify, no, not clarify, but state that every, every performance in this lineup is camp, and every movie that is nominated from these ladies is camp. Every film. This is the year of camp. It's, this is such a crazy year. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on. We had Mercedes, speaking of camp, Mercedes McCambridge as Luz Benedict in Giant. This is her second of two nominations. No precursors going into this. She just kind of rode that giant wave um, to get get that nomination in Giant. She plays the old school matriarch of Rock Hudson. Um, She is his mama who doesn't really take kind to Elizabeth Taylor's character. And just as quick as she comes into the movie, she is out of that movie because she gets her ass beat when she starts fucking with a horse that she should not be fucking with. So, Christoph, what are your thoughts on Mercedes McCambridge in Giant? Um, first of all, are you sure she's his mama? I think she's his sister. She's his sister. Stop it. She's her sister? She's yeah. his sister, yeah. This is like me finding out again that I, that Jason Robards and Jane Fonda aren't <laughs> in Julia because I still think that they're father and daughter. I'll never be convinced that they were dating. Did, did they have a scene? Did they have a scene in bed together in I, Julia? I don't know. <laughs> it's been a long time since I watched that season one. But you're completely forgiven for. Misremembering that because <laughs> Giant is one long ass movie and Mercedes McCambridge is in barely nothing of it. She she is for I think about ten minutes in there. She is out of the movie about a quarter of the way through. Um, she doesn't really get a storyline of her own except that she is 
jealous of Elizabeth Taylor. And the main thing she does is stand there, watch others, and mutter, muttering to herself and wisecracking and seeing through it all. You could say that it's a bit one note because you see most of the scenes very shortly together. But when she is killed off, I'm still thinking, oh, it's too bad because something about the salty presence of her would maybe have given the rest of the film a certain flavor that it might be missing because uh, it's it's a bit of one thing, but it's one thing that the film maybe misses a bit after she's gone. Um, so I actually agree with a lot that um, Christoph said. Um, the funny thing is giant as a movie should absolutely be my thing because I absolutely love all these um, long Hollywood epics from the 50s. And at the end of giant, I actually pretty much hated it, which was surprising because at the beginning, I pretty much loved it. And I think one of the reasons might actually be Mercedes McCambridge. Um, I agree she's in the movie only a short period of time and out pretty quickly, but she has this very unique screen presence that just commands attention from the other characters and the viewers. So even if the movie doesn't tell a lot about her, you still get the feeling that you know this character and what she wants, what she stands for, why she doesn't like um, Elizabeth Taylor's character, how she, that she is a very strong member of this community. And there is a uh, earth, earthiness to her that appeals to me and I agree that when she is gone from the movie it somehow loses something and there were times later in the movie when the kids were grown up and I was thinking what if Mercedes McCambridge's character was still alive how would this whole family have turned out I think the story would have been very different and also her death scene um, the way she, she dies um, with everyone being around and present, you just sense that an institution is gone at this moment, somebody who is very important to this whole community. And I think she really does a lot with a short period of time and is for me probably one of the most effective performers in this movie. And I'm I like it that there was a time when the Academy would nominate these kind of short truly supporting performances um because i think elizabeth taylor is i think she's okay rock hudson is also not really my favorite and i think to be honest james dean is pretty ridiculous in a lot of parts of this movie i don't know if, the, if this is safe to say um but i think if i would have to cast if i would have to rank the cast members of giant then i might put mercedes McCambridge actually at the top I don't think that she's all-time great or anything like this. It's just that the movie around her is not really that good, but and she really elevates it. Yeah, I think that was my that was my my two cents. Yeah. Um, so the thing I I agree with Fritz that the idea that the Academy doesn't do performances like this anymore I think is very very true. I think that I uh, these smaller we're so used to leads being in supporting now that it's kind of annoying to see something like this because it is the true definition of what um supporting is uh you know we have that wonderful saying on the show the penelope milford effect and uh you know it's when a supporting actress 
uh, comes in and does exactly what she's supposed to do in the time that she's got, and it works to carry the story along without taking away from the main story. And I think that's what she does here. Um, so I would actually apply that to um, Mercedes McCambridge here. The thing that leaves me annoyed with this, though, is that she's in it so quickly, and so she then she's gone so quickly that it feels uneventful, I guess is the way I want to say this. It feels very uneventful, and I am not too sure as to how I'm supposed to feel about her character when she's gone. Like, I don't miss her, but I'm also wondering what could have been. And I don't think that's any fault to her. I think that is all the fault to what she's got to work with, which isn't much. But what she is working with, it's fine. Um, she Listen, she got... I think she won one before. And so this winning... I think her getting another nomination was one of those things where it's like, it's not a fluke. It's actually a, one of the very, very deserving supporting actress winners. And listen, if there was a way, because I know, like, I don't know how you guys feel about Linda Blair, but the whole thing with, like, if you've seen Linda Blair without Mercedes McCambridge's voice in The Exorcist, it's terrible, in my opinion. In Brandon's opinion, too, he, I, I, was able, I was able to show him that, and he's like, yikes. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So, like, if there was a way to give her one for The Exorcist, I would be, at least a nomination, I'm all there, but I'm, you know, I'm still giving Madeline Kahn that win. But, uh... But yeah, that's what I got to say about Mercedes McCambridge. Do you guys have anything else you want to rebuttal on? Can't hear you, sir. Maybe one quick confession. Uh -huh. I have been, I mean, I've been really watching it for Mercedes McCambridge, and she dies a quarter into the movie, and I kept watching it till the end, and the film has been going on for so long that at some point I had forgotten that she died, and I started wondering... I'm watching this for Mercedes McCambridge. Is she coming back? And then I just took me a film for, for a few minutes and said, oh, oh no, she died. She died about two hours ago. So uh, that's that. This movie is so long. Yeah, it is, it is incredible. As I said, this is usually this is my kind of movie, but I don't know. I think the story gets so stupid at some point that, and as I said, I think James Dean is so bad in this. Very much so. I, I rather like him in this, but I have a soft spot for James Dean. A soft spot? Is that what we're going to call that? What also, would you call it? A hot spot? I mean, eventually. But um, I also would like to say James Dean is not a lead in this movie at all. No, no. Definitely not. How the Definitely hell, not at all. How the hell that worked out is very mysterious, but... All right, well, moving on, let's get to the bad seed, ladies. The first two out of the three. Uh, Patty McCormick, child actor, plays Rhoda Penmark. The bad seed is her sole nomination. She has a Golden Globe nomination going into this. I love a good horror movie that gets nominated at the Oscars. Uh, this is considered one of the few horror movies that got some love from the Academy, and it is. And it is also based on the stage play, and it is about a little girl who is a little too sinister for everyone's liking um, and causes a lot of ruckus and wants that, those tap shoes and is a little cunt. Kristoff, talk about her. Well, uh, The Bad Seed is basically a film with a gimmick, the gimmick being that the villain is a little girl with blonde pigtails. And... For me personally, the performance of Patty McCormick never goes beyond 
the gimmick level. I have to admit, this is one of my least favorite performances to be ever nominated for an Oscar, especially in this beautiful Best Supporting Actress category. She's dead behind the eyes. There's never a genuine moment. She basically has only two ways of playing. Either she's this angry little girl with shouting at everybody, or she's doing this fake nice thing, which is so obviously fake there. I, I can see a point defending her because it's not real. She's faking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's supposed to be good at faking it. She's supposed to be so good at faking it that the nice elderly neighbor believes that it's a genuine nice girl. And we understand why this nice elderly, elderly, elderly neighbor doesn't see through her. We are also supposed to believe that her own mother didn't realize until the events of this film that she is raising little psychopath. But she really... She really is so obviously not real when she is playing nice. And she is also so over the top and one note when she is angry. And the absolute moment where I just cannot hold myself back and just have to laugh out loud is late in the film when she is confessing the crime uh, to her mother. And she starts going, oh, I, I, I hit him with my shoes. And, and I hit him with my shoes again. This, this, this is, this is, you, this is, it is camp. It is unintentional camp. It's, it's, it's a kind of level I don't, I do not think she or anyone else intended. This is, this is just a bad actress trying to be angry. And I know she's a little girl. If, if we were 1956, I would try to say something nice about her because I don't want to be mean about a little girl, especially if she could hit me with her shoes. But she's, she's an old-ass woman now. She can take it. This is really bad, and I just do not like her in this film. I'm sorry. So she, bad she's, she's going to be your winner is what you're saying. Got it. Got it. Uh, Fritz, how about you? Um, okay, so um, I need to remember all the things I wanted to say to Christoph. So um, for one, just want to say for one thing, um, I know we will talk about Nancy Kelly later, but um, in Penny McCormick's defense, her mother is one of the most stupid women that ever walked on the face of the earth. So I can't forgive her for I can't forgive her for not realizing <laughs> of uh, for being too obvious because her mother would never notice. Um, and before I start with Penny McCormick, I just quickly want to say the bad seat is really one of the most horrible movies that I have ever seen in connection to the Oscars. This is so stupid from start to finish. This pseudo-psychological bullshit that they are talking about all the time. These fake conversations they are having with this horrible neighbor who's out of nowhere wants to start analyzing dreams and shit. And seriously, everybody in this movie just should just shut the fuck up. They are all so annoying. I it's unbelievable and what drives me over the edge is that this movie is just also made so badly i i, I saw that first the director must have been some kind of theater director who had never directed a movie before but no this was done by a director who had directed movies for i think since silent movies or something like this this is so obviously that they just set up the set and said do and stage performance, and I will just film it. They didn't use any chance they had to make this into a movie. I, I, just the scene where they announced Rocky. that the boy has died, they could have just shown some kind of, they could have included a scene at this gathering, but they, instead they have this ridiculous radio announcement 
of this guy saying, oh, there's a child who drowned, but I can't say who. And then 10 seconds later, oh, but now I can't say it. The boy lived at this and this street and was the boy of these and these parents. And the way the characters are entering and leaving the, the, the stage, you have to say, this, the whole dialogue is so fake. Even on the stage, it would have been, it would have been horrible. I mean, they even have a curtain call at the end, for God's sake. Um, okay, just had to get this off my chest. Um, now comes the point where I actually have to disagree with Christoph. I, I thought that Paddy McCormick for me was a little bit like a small Dorsey Malone, a performance I would not say is all time great, but effective for what she is supposed to do within the movie. I think she is the, of the three principal cast members who came from the stage to the screen. I think she's the only one who was, who adjusted her performance to the, to the screen and who wasn't completely over the top, in my opinion. I know that she's fake friendly. I also think that's pretty obvious. Um, but I think the movie is so stupid, it's just asking for it. Um, personally, I think the scene where she confesses to her crimes, I don't know, I think it's effective. I think Penny McCormick does have this, this, ev this evil spirit she does that pretty well, in my opinion. And so the this confession scene works for me. I think that's the only moment of this whole movie where everything comes a bit alive and where everything is a little bit more than just, yeah, just, just awful. And yeah, so for me, I think she's, uh, I don't want to go too far ahead already, but I think she is the best part of the movie and does what she's supposed to do well, even if what she is doing is also not too amazing. Very different sides of the spectrum with you guys. I don't know why I just picked up my microphone like that. I think I was just so taken back by both sides of that coin there. Tatum O'Neill, Quinn Cummings, Quivenjane Wallace, Justin Henry, Anna Paquin, there are some very interesting child nominations and winners throughout Academy history. And then we have Patty McCormick, who gives one of my least favorite nominate like performances ever nominated. Okay, I'm, there go my predictions. I'm sorry, Fritz. <laughs> yeah, I, ju I just tried. I was expecting Joey to have the awful takes here. <laughs> I did not like this when I first saw this. When I, I first saw this movie when I worked at Blockbuster 10 years ago. 12, 11 years ago. And I was like, what is this bullshit? I have to put... To, to, to understand this nomination, I have to put my mind in the mindset of a voter in 1956 seeing this horror movie and the gimmick of it being a kid. I mean, that's essentially what I think it was. Um, <laughs> she is bad, bad. Not to only mention that, but she is also the one of the two leads. She is not a supporting actress. The movie revolves around her. It is about her. It is told from her point of view. She's got the screen time. She is in the supporting category because outside of, I think, the guy who played Skippy, Jack, what is it, Jackie Cooper, was the only kid at that time to ever be put in lead 
and once they brought in supporting, uh, they would probably put they would have probably put Jackie Cooper in supporting had they had the opportunity to. I, they had. I mean, remember there was talk of Quavenjane Wallace going supporting, so it's like what the fuck. Um, I know. <laughs> No. Oh god, no, no, I feel really stupid. Why do you feel stupid? No. <laughs> Listen, I I can't can, can we at least agree that or agree that the uh, do you uh, that the movie is awful or do you or do you guys now say no the movie is great, only Penny McComas is awful? I don't think the movie's great, but I don't think it's bad, but I also <sighs> I enjoy that camp. I, I I'm completely surprised to say it, but I'm absolutely on the same page with Joey here. I I I, I like the film. Yeah. It's, just, it's just Paddy McCormack who is really absolutely awful here. Yeah. Also, you're right about a category placement. Not that it really matters in terms of ranking, but of course she's yep, the lead. Also, yeah, she's the lead, definitely. Well, let's move on to Eileen Eckert, who also gets a nomination from this movie who is also from this, well, obviously the same movie. She plays Mrs. Hortense Diagle. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. I don't fucking know. This is her first of two nominations she won. We talked about her, speaking of 1972, she has Susan Terrell's Oscar for Butterflies Are Free. I don't know if you guys agree with that one. No, 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 Yes, 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 But she wins the Golden Globe. So I guess in quote-unquote modern times, if you use precursors like that, she's the... The, the head honcho going into this but she plays a very drunk sorrowful mother mourning the loss of her kid I'm gonna do this my greatest worst Patty McCormick expression I hit him hard she hits him hard and it is kills this kid and this is the mom and she's like you did it and it's just Christoph let's talk about this now, Aline Hackard in The Bad Seed is an interesting performance because this is a two-hour film and she has exactly two scenes in it. But what I find interesting is she is commanding your attention in both those scenes from the moment she enters the stage to the moment she leaves the stage. Uh, she is drunk, she is theatrical, she is pointing at others, she is pointing at herself, she is... She is full of emotions uh she she is she is absolutely everything she she is not letting anyone else who is there have really a moment to really shine next to her because it's all about her in this moment it's almost as if she doesn't even belong to the film but just crashed the set for those two scenes to just say there in here and say hey you go on about about this awful child. I have lost my kid because of her, and look what it made to me. She she is she is driven, obviously driven to alcohol because of she is broken. She is she is not really needed for the film in terms of the narrative. You could probably cut her scenes out and just give uh, Christine an off-screen epiphany, just as some other things happens off-screen in a film, like the murders happening off-screen. Um, but she's only there for emotional reasons and for motivational reasons, and you totally get this. She, she, when she is on the scene, she is changing... She, she is basically changing the film, and I love every second of this, because she 
it, it, it's a performance I just admire. She, she is just there. She is saying, what is this movie about? I don't care. For these 10 minutes, this movie is about me. She is not really supporting the others, but she is uh, taking the center stage for the few moments she has. And in fact, I, I haven't seen the film in quite a long time. The only two things I remembered were how bad Patty McCormick is and how fantastic Eileen Hackard is. Because this is just, when at the end she just says, you know something, Christine, and then is hugging her and then is leaving her. This has quite an impact. And I really like what she does with the little screen time she has here. Well, no mention of Nancy Kelly there, which we'll get to in a bit. So clearly she was not a good or bad, so it'll be interesting. Um, Fritz, what are your thoughts? Um, I agree with a lot of the things that uh, Christoph said, uh, maybe come to a slightly different uh, conclusion. Um, yeah, I totally agree that she basically storms into the bad seat, takes no prisoners, um, basically tells everybody this is how you do it and gets off again. Um, also agree she's not really needed, but she brings the whole movie to a complete halt and brings a totally different level of energy to it. And I also agree that she was the only thing that I remembered from the Red Seat. I think I didn't watch it in probably 10 years or something like this. But she stays in your mind. Um, I agree also the finger pointing it. Again, it is a complete stage performance. When she exits, you almost expect them to add some kind of applause. Um, this is the kind of performance where you just know when it is on the stage, um, she gets applause when she enters and she gets applause when she leaves. This is ju It's just made for this. Um, she's sometimes just a little bit too much for me because it is just so stagey. So I had the same experience that Christoph had with Patty McCormick, where he said he sometimes had to laugh about her. The same thing happened with for me with Eileen Hackert, where I sometimes just couldn't take it seriously, even if it was so, even if it's so tragic. But there comes a point when this whole finger pointing and slurring speech or just simply when she rings at the door and the neighbor opens the door and she's, stand, and she's standing there and I don't know, her body is kind of shaped weirdly because she wants to show us just how drunk she is. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit too much for me, but I completely agree that there is something completely fascinating and unique about this performance. And she brings it all to a different level, but yeah, not entirely sure when it's all done that I'm completely happy about it. Well, like I said earlier, this whole year is just camp and this is no exception. And I can't believe as, as we had moved on to Eileen, I cannot, I had like had a light bulb. I was like, none of us mentioned Rhoda's death scene with the lightning bolt. Like it's just so ridiculous. And I just, I, I, I just thought uh, when we talked about Eileen Hackett, I just thought about, I think my favorite moment in the movie was when Patty McDormand, say, Patty McDormand says about Eileen Hackett's character, well, if she wants a boy so badly, why doesn't, why doesn't she get one out of the orphanage? I mean, it's, is... just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And I just, I sop it up with a biscuit. It's glorious. Um, I, okay. Speaking of 1972, to still flip that, because that's been a theme with us today. In that episode, again, Fritz is not going to agree, but when we were talking about Eileen Eckert's terrible Oscar win, where Susan Tyrell's Oscar, um, I remember specifically saying, because I was reference, uh, uh, referencing this lineup, 
I was like, but there is her other one that's really good. And then I just like stopped myself. So I don't know if you guys remember that. That is obviously this one. This is the really good performance. And then that one was the really bad performance that she won for. Um, and this is no shade, but I don't think Eileen Heckard was ever young because she's old as fuck in every movie like that I've seen her in. From Bad Seed to The First Wives Club to Butterflies of Family. Like, Damn, bitch, you old again. <coughs> Um, but I think she's so much fun here. This is a blast. You can tell she's really working with the material. She knows how to take herself over the top when it needs to be. And it's also really emotionally draining watching her. I mean, we, we you know, we've seen, or we've slept through Manchester by the Sea, for an example, and how, like, that parent can, like, react to that and whatever. But, like, this actually was, like, emotionally touching in a weird way. I don't know, but I'm just like, I see you, Eileen. I see what you're doing. Just want to quickly say, Eileen Hecker's Oscar win for Butterflies of Free is very deserved. And it also shows that what, what frustrates me so much is that Eileen, in Butterflies of Free, of Free, Eileen Hecker shows that she can adjust her perform, a stage performance to the camera. So in The Bad Seed, I really blame whoever was behind the camera, who I'm 100% certain just said, do it like you always do. We just tape it, then we can all go home. Can I just throw in that I don't think either way about her in Butterflies of Free. I don't think she's absolutely great and deserves an Oscar. I don't hate her in it. Just somewhere between the two of you. Who's your winner that year? Is it That's nice of you. Geraldine Page for Pete and Tilly? Ah, uh, 1972. Let me look at the lineup. Uh, please don't um, say Shelley Winters. Shelley Winters, Jeannie Berlin, <laughs> Susan Terrell, and uh, Geraldine Page. That, I think I mean, that... it might actually be Shelley Winters. Oh, he's going to say Because, again, that it's... is Geraldine Page's I'm, I'm best not really, nomination. I'm not really enthusiastic about... Oh, oh no, sorry, it stopped. Susan Terrell. Susan Terrell, no doubt. Yep. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> Prince is like, <laughs> moving on, moving on. All right. That's fine. <laughs> All right, moving on to our final nominee. I'm really interested... Yeah, I... Let me just say it's really scary how much we align See, so far. I didn't expect it to be like this. You always think we're that much different. We're not. Yes. And yeah, I, I, didn't, think I didn't think I, didn't think I would be, to be like this either. Yeah, I didn't think I would be the outsider here. Right. right. Yeah, we're, we're tearing into you, and you were hoping to sit there with popcorn, looking at us tearing into each other. Yeah, I was hoping yeah. you really... We're going at it. Yeah. I was the same one, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I am the same one. <laughs> you just agreed that you're not the same one. <laughs> right. No, no, obviously, I am the same one. I just didn't think I would be alone. And I would be alone. Well, well uh, it, okay. might, it might be completely different if we go to the lead lineup. Well, we're almost there. So let's. I don't know if we're going to be on the same page with that, but I am really interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are on Mildred Dunnick because I had just seen Baby Doll for the first time a couple months ago. Also, this movie is horny as fuck. And this is her second of two nominations. She gets a Golden Globe uh, for supporting going into this, and she plays Aunt Rose Comfort. Um, how do I explain this character? She's in the background. She makes dinner. She has a dinner scene, and then she runs around a house with luggage while people are trying to kill each other. I don't know how to describe this well other than that, and that's her entire role. So, Kristoff I, I, I love off. all your I love all your summaries for this year. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're right when you say she's in the background because that's 
what she's mostly doing for most of the film. She's she's in the background. She's in the background. She is a somewhat kooky presence in a film that's quite insane already, and she's flying under the radar for most of her screen time, which is not very long. But then she has the one scene towards the end when she is confronted by or confronting the Carl Malden character. And she looks at him a bit sheepishly at first, and then she begins to cry, and she's talking to him back firmly and confidently, and pretty much out of nowhere, she's giving this character, which was really just the crazy old bad aunt who doesn't have much to do, uh, an amount of dignity or character that I didn't expect to come from this person in the movie, who, which maybe isn't even all that warranted from the material she's given, but somehow out of nothing, she creates a moment that really works in this film, which uh, works in a film which is very crazy and feels much less crazy than the film around her, although she's probably one of the craziest people in the house living there. So I really appreciate her. It's not really a lot. It's not a big performance. It's not much that she is getting to work with, but she's creating something out of nothing, and I really like that. And Fritz, what are your thoughts on Mildred Dunnock? So I remember when I watched uh, Baby Doll the first time, also ages ago, I focused on Carol Baker, and it was sometime later that I found out that this movie also had a Best Supporting Actress nomination. And for the life of me, I could not remember another char- another actress in this movie. And I saw the clips of her, and I was always like, was she really in that movie? And so I rewatched it. Yes, she was in that movie. Um, but again, yeah, why why was she in that movie? The thing is, when you think about Baby Doll, it's Tennessee Williams. You know, there are two Oscar-nominated um, women in there. It's set in the South. I mean, how can that go wrong? Um, but funnily, this is probably the only Tennessee Williams-based movie I saw where I think that the men were more interesting than the women. Um, and Mildred Dunnick, um, God bless her. I agree that um, her scene at the end is touching, but I just wish that the scene had been earned in some way or her character built up. Because the fact that her character had basically not been seen up to that moment makes the scene just too much out of nowhere and for me lessens the overall impact and the thing is I really don't know what the character is doing in this movie why she is in that movie why she was added um, to the whole story I think she serves no real purpose and while I do like it when the Oscar nominates performances that are really supporting I do think at least some kind of impact is needed it can be just a comic relief it can be just to make the lead character rethink something or just anything and i don't think that mildred dunnick is really needed here for anything or really doing anything so i've been very vocal that i am not a give an oscar for a scene type of person like many supporting actresses have won for a scene. Um, Beatrice Strait, for an example, has an Oscar for a scene. 
Anne Hathaway has an Oscar for a scene. Um, Mildred Dunnick, I can't judge anything else outside of that scene. That's all she's got. I mean, that's it. That's literally all she's got. So I have to look at this in, like, that perspective. And the thing is, is, like, I'm watching Baby Doll, and I'm like, what is happening with her? How is she... Like, is there a moment? And then I realized, I mean, literally in the last 15 minutes of the film, and nothing has happened with her yet. And then that scene happens, and I'm like, I get it. I get this nomination. Um, maybe some people could call this a coattail if, like, this had been nominated across the board as a film. But I genuinely think, like, she earned that Oscar nomination. Um... It is a scene. It is very well done. It is... My, I forget what year it is. Maybe it's 62. Una Merkel. Wait, is it Una Merkel? For Summer and Smoke? Yes, it is Una Merkel. She has a scene on the, on the staircase. And she's my runner-up that year. She's fantastic for that scene. Um, I think if you, you have to work with what you have, and she did that here, just like Una did, and I think it's pretty good. I like it. <laughs> so, that's it. Um, do you guys have anything else on the supporting actresses before we move on? There is one I, obvious omission in the best supporting actress field, but I think we might be talking about her later when we talk about Anastasia. Helen but, Hayes. Okay, yeah, there was to say, yeah, there was my one. <laughs> I was thinking that, guys. I was like, if the if if the Academy had nominated, and she could have won for that too. Easily, she she, she would be my winner. Karen I can, Black I said it right away. Have, Helen Hayes would have been my winner. Karen Black would have her Oscar for Fabulous Pieces. I'm pretty sure. The thing is, uh, as far as I know, for some fucked up reason, she was campaigned as lead. I know it makes no sense, but she, she got a leading nomination at the Golden Globes. Um, I think she was just too big of a name for the supporting category at this point. I hate that. I, I haven't. Prob I, I suppose that's the reason. But uh, yeah, she would be my. She would be totally be my winner for supporting. I'm not sure if she would be my winner, but she would be probably. If she's not a winner, then she's a runner-up. I hate that. That she went lead at the Globes. I didn't even know that. I didn't even check into that. Ah, all right. Yeah, god damn it. God damn it. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sticking with that. I'm pretty sure that if she had gone supporting, and she could have won, and Karen Black would have her Oscar. Anyway, moving on. Your, uh, your <laughs> lead actress nominees were... Carol Baker in Baby Doll, Ingrid Bergman in Anastasia, Catherine Hepburn in The Rainmaker, Nancy Kelly in The Bad Seed, and Deborah Carr in The King and I. All right, Deborah Carr. Let's start with Debbie. Let's start with good old Debbie Carr. As Anna Leon Owens in The King and I, this is her third of six nominations. She wins the Golden Globe for Actress in Comedy Musical and is nominated at the New York Film Critics Association for Best Actress. She plays an English woman who goes to Thailand, which is then known as Siam, uh, to teach children. And she's not supposed to live in the palace, but she totally does, and falls 
deeply in love with her surroundings of people in yellow face. So, Christoph, let's talk about this. Um, I think Deborah Carr has a very difficult task uh, in The King and I because she has to play opposite Jules Brunner, who is playing in his signature role, which by this point he has played, I think, about a thousand times on the stage. And he has so much charisma doing this. This is There's a reason this is his signature role. There's a reason he is so... Uh, had so much so much success with this and trying to even survive opposite him to hold her own is a big task and i think she does a very good job at this she could easily have come across as meek or as uh being totally steamed over by him but she feels very human in an entirely odd environment um the whole point of a character is to be warm and mellow so that she eventually softens this virile and strong-willed man with her femininity and with her Western ideas and with her ridiculously large skirts. And I really like what she's doing here. She is, she is towing a line of being, of, of on the one hand, paying respect to him, but resisting it at points when she thinks she needs to resist. There's an arc here where she is getting less inhibited to contradict him as the film's going along, but still resisting him when she is feeling that uh, he is getting romantically involved here or trying to get in romantically involved with here. And at the end, when she learns that he is dying, she is just stunned and heartbroken. And I, I really, I really like this a lot because I think she does a really good job uh, actually being a lead here, even a lead opposite such a strong actor. Uh, she, I really think she does a very good job with uh, the part. And Fritz, how about you? Um, first a little backstory. So The King and I has a special place in my heart because I don't live in New York or in London, so I never get to see all these big um, Broadway stars live on the stage. But um, when I was in London for a weekend, I did get to see Kelly O'Hara and Ken Watanabe in The King and I, and this was really fantastic. And I really cherish this moment. And for um, The King and I, so Deborah Carr was the first Anna Leon Owens, I think her name is, that I ever saw. And besides Kelly O'Hara, the only one, because I, I, I don't go to The King and I so often. Um, and for me, this is a really beautiful performance. Um, I agree with Christoph that this is Yul Brynner's signature role. Um, but what I think is that he totally depends on a successful Anna. I think his performance, while charismatic and doing what it's supposed to do is, for me, rather one note. And personally, I think that the actress who plays Anna has all the, has to do all the heavy lifting in this movie. And for me, Deborah Carr's performance is so good that it elevates Jewel Brynner's performance to apparently an Oscar-winning performance. Um, for me, she is the, the central character in this. She is the one who has the dramatic arc. Um, she has humorous moments. She shows you how her, the affection for her children, the affection for this land, 
Um, she does all this wonderful dramatic acting in the end when he is dying, and she really shows you how close she became to him. And also during the the scene with um, Rita Moreno's character, um, she is the conscience of the movie. Um, the whole movie story obviously has this whole Western superiority um, mentality, um, but I don't think that she dives too deeply into this. So I think when the um, when these Europeans come to to check out the king, she shows that her loyalties are more on his side than on theirs. So she has to balance the task of playing this character who is caught between these two different worlds. And for me, she does this really beautifully. I think Anna is a great part in musicals. Um, I'm, I mean, there's a reason why this part has won three Tony Awards for different actresses over the years. Um, she doesn't sing herself, obviously. Um, I can forgive this in musical performances because at the end, um, movie acting is an illusion. Um, if she does it convincingly, then that's okay for me. I mean, I know that um, we talked about Tatum O'Neill earlier. I know that Tatum O'Neill needed like um, 50 takes or something like this for each scene to work. But in the end, in, it's a movie what counts is the finished product and she gives me the illusion of singing the song so it's perfectly fine for me and but beyond the singing she nails all the dramatic and humorous parts of the story she also works very well her chemistry with Yul Brynner is top-notch um yeah for me everything great so I witnessed this movie for the first time the other night ever and but it was weird because a couple of things happened and then i'm going to get into debbie here i didn't realize that i had seen this movie in bits and parts throughout my childhood and then like do you guys ever get like a memory where like you don't like something just triggers it and it's like all these good like right i forgot that every time i went over in the 90s when i was just a wee little lad in the mid 90s that my cousin, like my aunt and uncle, always had this movie playing. I forgot that I knew the songs because it like heard it in the background, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like that, I knew that. I was like, oh my god, that's this. Um, I knew the music. I knew it, and so it was funny because I tweeted, and I was only ten minutes in the film. I'm like, God, this movie is terrible. And then I really spoke too soon because I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great little movie, and. Um, I didn't know that it was like there's 8,000 versions like Gail Sondergaard got a supporting actress nomination for Anna and the King of Siam in 46 and then I'm like looking at it I'm like oh Gail no it's like a whole Saratoga trunk thing all over again or Dragon Seed type of nomination um, and then of course there's the version that was on TV with uh, Samantha Egar and then you know, Yul Brenner was in that one as well. And then there's the Jodie Foster version that came out in the 90s. So, I mean, this movie has been done to death. And the thing is, is that while I haven't seen the others, I've really enjoyed Debbie here. Um, you know, I've only been able to talk about her once before, and that was with the Sundowners. And she wasn't my winner in 60, but I think I had her like two or three. And I think she's was good there and I think she's good here um I haven't been disappointed by a performance with her so far but again I think those are the only two I've seen her in um she was really enjoyable she really 
was the heart and soul, I think, to that movie. And I love that her little kid, like, shows up with her and then is gone for the whole movie and then is like, all right, we're leaving now. It's like, where have you been, Louie? Come on, Louie, where have you been? Um, but... Just, I can break here a little bit. So yeah. since I have seen the stage version, um, <laughs> the, the, kids actually have, the kid actually has a larger role there. They, mm. He has a song with um, the king's son. Yeah. So they do a little bit more there. And like, I have to say, we were talking about bad child actors before. This actor who's playing her son is really just the kind of typical bad child actor who is speaking his lines like this. And I, I, I'm really glad he is. Oh, more. that's why you whistle. <laughs> he called you, sir. Well, it's like even something like, I don't know if you guys have ever read, it is a huge part of with American literature, is Uncle Tom's Cabin. And, like, the whole, I mean, the, the, the book is referenced to this day, like, calling people Uncle Tom and, you know, because, you know, I live in a country where they, we, where we just brushed, right, you know, slavery under a rug and never really learned from it, which is very unfortunate. And I thought it was very interesting to see, like, the Uncle Tom's cabin scene where they did it mm-hmm. as, like, a live play. And despite the heavy material, I thought it was fantastic. Like, the movie, it works in the movie. The movie works. The acting works. Yes, there are the issues. We, we, we're able to enjoy these things if we, if we also can see the issues and, you know, accept them. And I, I really enjoyed this movie. And I thought Deborah Carr's performance was wonderful. I thought she was really good. So um, I think the, the, the style of the movie, the, the art direction, it's very stylized. So the way they have these yellow room or orange room without any furniture. But I think it really works. Yeah, yeah. I would, um, I would like to see this on stage. I would. Okay. Do you guys not have a big like stage presence, theater presence in Germany? Well, we have theaters spread out across the country, so we don't have these hubs like um, Broadway or West End, mm. and we don't really have these big actors doing musicals or stage plays, so we probably have some actors doing plays, but I uh, don't really care about German actors, so that's <laughs> so this really doesn't give me anything. I couldn't really I mean, name any big German musical actors. No. I mean, we have... What I can say is when you go to a music, a professional musical production, um, then the musical actors that we have in Germany, they are top notch. They are all, um, they are really all A plus quality, but they are not stars in the sense that you get on West End or Broadway. I don't know much about German culture outside of, you know, the stereotypes. Yes, say it. There's no outside of the stereotypes. <laughs> But I did hear that Angela Merkel is ending or is not re, or is not running again. So maybe she could become your next big theater star. I don't know. I'm just throwing something. Yeah, out. I'm sure she will. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right. We don't know. Yeah, we, we don't have this this hub like yeah like we have so we have stages across all the countries. So when you went to want to do when to when you want to see Lion King for example, you have to travel across the country for um and see it in Hamburg. Mm. Well, it's like then again. Traveling across the country in Germany is a different thing to traveling across the country in the USA. That as well. But if I would live in the USA, I would live in New York and go to see Broadway shows all the time. You would so live that, in, See, I don't know how expensive it is to live where you're at, but... Yeah, I, do, I don't know. I don't think that it will ever happen, but I, in my dream, if I would live in, in America, I would live in New York and watch Broadway shows all the time. 
knew that's what you think until you're in a in a shoebox apartment for two thousand dollars a month, and you realize that all these Broadway shows are like a hundred dollars a ticket for the shitty scenes. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, ah. Um, all right, moving on. We have this year's winner, Ingrid Bergman, as Anna Croft in Anastasia. This is her fifth of seven nominations. That's like. She's pretty up there for uh, this nomination. Um, she wins everything she's nominated for. She's no in. Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she actually wins. Um, she has a golden... Kevin Jacobson listens to our Patreon, so that you just shouted out him. Um, golden Globe win for Actress in a Drama, Laurel win for Actress, and the New York Film Critics Association for Actress. In Anastasia, again, Ingrid plays Anna, who is a woman who is a fucking mess and she gets taken by these people who want to make some money to imitate that she is Nicholas and Alexandra Janice Osmond should have won that Oscar um, their daughter who is <laughs> you guys can't see him I can that was a great reaction um, and uh, is the story of how the one daughter of the last star lived and she's got to pose as her it's quite interesting, and um, Christoph, take it away. I really like the performance of Ingrid Bergman here, especially at the beginning of the film. Uh, Ingrid Bergman often has such a regal, noble, graceful quality, and you would think that she would lean into that and rely on that for a character uh, like that, but at the beginning of the film, she almost plays it like a horror movie, like she's the victim in the horror movie who is running away, who is scared, who is bewildered, who is looking like a deer in the headlights. And it almost made me a bit regret that we don't really have a lay-in-the-cage-style exploitation movie starring Ingrid Bergman, because she would be really good if she would play like that. And I think there in the opening, this is... I really like what she does in the opening. A bit later in the film, her character changes somewhat when she becomes, when she either actually believes she's Anastasia or is confident enough to fake it. And uh, then at the end has the big scene with Helen Hayes where she tries to build a bond with a hardened woman who thinks that she's a con artist and still finds a way to her heart. This is also very good what she does here. What I am missing a bit in her performance is how she got from the beginning to the woman at the end. Um, It's not really an arc where she goes from one to the other, but it's almost like a switch where she is this one kind of woman at the beginning of the film and this other kind of woman at the end of the film. I wish we would get a better way from A to B, but that being said, I really like both A and B in this film from her. Fritz? Mm, I agree with um, a lot of that Christoph said, um, with her regal qualities especially. So what I like about this performance is that she can so quickly switch to these regal qualities that sometimes come to the surface and make you wonder, is she or isn't she? Um, I also like that Ingrid Bergman has this very imposing physique. So we know that she's a very tall actress, a very imposing actress, but she can appear very delicate in these early scenes. And I think what she also overcomes is that for me, the movie really calls for a younger actress. I think the real Anna was at least 10 years younger, would have been 10 years younger at this point. And I think the script 
implies that this would have been a younger woman, but I think it doesn't matter in Ingrid Bergman's performance. I had remembered this as somehow as very over the top. I don't know why, but I don't actually don't think it was. Well, now rewatching it, I don't think it was. Um, I agree that she plays these hysterics at the beginning very well. So, so she has this very uh, mysterious aura around her. Um, I just don't think that the character itself is that interesting when she is not thrown into these um, situations. So she has these different scenes opposite this guy who used to be her fiance. I think they are very uninteresting because the character is not interesting in this moment. Um, I talked about Deborah Carr's um, chemistry with Yul Brynner, which was brilliant. I don't think that Ingrid Bergman has any chemistry with Yul Brynner, and which makes the whole ending for me very illogical. Um, I mean, there can be a surprise ending, but I don't think it makes any sense in the way that these two have built up their relationship and their performances. Um, she does have various big scenes where she gets to scream and shout and cry, and you sense that after having been away from Hollywood for so long that she maybe feels this is her comeback, so she really needs to nail this and maybe go a little bit further than she would have done in the 40s. Um, of course, Ingrid Bergman is a very talented actress, so most of the time she succeeds. It's a little bit too much for me, and I don't think the character is as interesting as the movie would like us to believe. And probably, yeah, also what Christopher said, that there's point A and point B, but there's no real connection there. I think you're both correct. Um, I would like to point out that maybe it's because I'm a kid of the 90s, but I also really love the animated version of Anastasia that's out there. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Uh, Christoph, with your facial expression, that was, you were not I, a fan. I, I, I don't care for that animated version, not at all. <laughs> I, I liked it, and, and, and I liked that song. The little bat, it's always so cute. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I don't love the film. I think, I think you can be younger playing older, but you really are toying a fine line if you're trying to play younger I mean, we're seeing this big hubbub, uh, Ben Platt coming up with Dear Evan Hansen. And it's kind of, I mean, I had an issue with it with Florence Pugh with uh, Little Women. Um, yeah, they needed a younger actress for this. Um, Anastasia was uh, age around 25 when this was all happening uh supposedly and i think ingrid bergman's in what her 40s here or late 30s um that didn't work for me but i think you both hit points that were right like i need to know how she has all this info because i feel like it, it just she had it like unless i missed something um that was like her studying all of this um i think the performance is there i don't think it's bad i think she's doing what she needs to do and it's very convincing um this is a lot better than <laughs> Murder on the Orient Express. Um, I will say that for, you know, because she won that one and she won this one. Um, but, you know, I've seen between this, Autumn Sonata and Orient Express, um, she's now more balanced on the better performances than she was just half and half with those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could see why she won this. And there was also, this was a very political win for her. Um, this yeah. was, you know, post-Stromboli. This was the whole Isabella Rossellini was already born at this point. And, 
Yeah, this was a very political win. Yeah, this was a this was a done. This win was signed, sealed, and delivered. Back. Yeah. Well, um, anything else? Just quickly want to say, um, I don't know if you know. I, I really liked the score of the movie. I don't think the movie overall was very exceptional, but I did like the score very much. Yeah, it was a good one. It was a good one. Um, and I still love your face when I brought up Janet Susman, by the way. <laughs> All right. Um, Nancy Kelly. Let's talk about her. She plays Christine Penmark in The Bad Seed. This is her sole nomination. And her last movie, despite still acting for like 15 years, almost 15 years after this, this was her, the last movie she did. Now, she doesn't have any precursors going into this, but she did win the Tony for playing this role on the stage. Um, so in The Bad Seed, Nancy Kelly plays a very distraught mother who figures out that her daughter is a little shit-ass cunt bitch just killing people. Um, and this is no shade, but Nancy Kelly was 33 when she did this movie, and holy shit does she look like she's 60. Oh, God, yes. I have this. <laughs> I think she was 33? 33. I was like, okay. damn, that's rough. So that sounds hard to believe. Yeah, yes. it, it really does. Thirty-three, unless my math is wrong. But um, maybe she was thirty. Yeah, let's hope she was fifty-three. <laughs> Your math was wrong. Wait, she was fifty-three? No, no. I, I, I think that would be that oh. would, at least for me make more sense. Uh, well, I think she was born in twenty-one. So so she was forty-five. No, she, she was, was in her mid thirties. No, she was. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my. So yeah, like thirty. It's, it's too late. Old. Yeah, it's too late here. Crazy. My mess is wrong. Yeah. Crazy. Oh God, really? That really that shocks me. I mean, no, no offense, Nancy, but yeah. That's a rough looking 30, 30, 30 yeah. mid thirties. Um. So, Christoph, what are your thoughts? I mean, but <laughs> let's let us let us not bash her looks. There is much more much more than yeah, let's bash. bash her acting instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. There is a lot of acting going on in the bad seed. Um, some of it is good, some of it is bad, and apparently we can't quite agree which is good and which is bad, but none of the acting is really coming from her. She's technically <laughs> our protagonist, and I have to be honest, when I saw that the bad seed had a Best Actress nomination, I haven't seen it in quite some time, I just tried to remember Patty McCormick wasn't supporting who got the lead nomination. And when I re was rewatching it, I was trying to pay particular attention to her, because particular attention to her, because I already knew how I feel about Patty McCormick. I already knew how I feel about Arlene Hackard. I tried to focus on her, but she didn't make it easy to hold my attention to her because there is so many ways this character could be played. She could be scared of her daughter. She could be ashamed. She could be feeling guilty. She could be protective. And at different moments in the film, she is a bit of this and she is a bit of that. But she is mainly just generally concerned. Never really more of that. There is, in, in a film in which so many people around her play big or play loud, she just tends to get lost. The, the really only scene in the film where suddenly started caring for her was the scene uh, with her adopted father uh, where she uh, found out about her own background and when she was getting emotional. This was the kind of thing where I thought, uh, oh, th this kind of character could actually be interesting. I would have wanted more of that, but 
throughout most of the film, she is not really doing anything interesting. Even at the end, when she decides to kill her daughter and then kill herself and then fails at both, um, it just sort of happens. But the way there, I, I wish this was better. I wish I could be more invested in it. It's it's not necessarily bad, but it's certainly not good. And Fritz, I know what's coming from you, so the floor is yours. <laughs> so, um, just before, if I ever cover this year in more detail for a video, I maybe, and I look at Nancy Kelly's performance maybe more often and in more detail, maybe I have a different opinion, so this is now really judge based on the one viewing I had, but oh, seriously, holy shit. Um, first of all, I mean, no offense to, I mean, she has a horrible screenplay to work with. I mean, I know this is a serious topic, but good God, this woman is even too stupid to shoot herself in the head. Um, and basically this woman is too, in my opinion, too stupid to function in any way, logically and within the story. I think I don't think that I had the same problem as Christoph. I think it was very easy to pay attention to her. I mean, she is in almost. I think she is on screen for almost any sec or every second of the movie, apart from a couple of scenes. And I also, funnily, I got a whole different impression when you say she's always slightly concerned. I had the feeling she was very high strung, hysteric right from the beginning. I think if you take if you take a drink every time she says Rhoda. Um, you would probably be drunk very soon. Um, I don't know, there are so many movies, the scene when, when her daughter is playing the piano and she's banging her hand, hand like this on the table and then bangs on the door and screams, and then answer me! I mean, this is, this is Mummy Dearest um, times 10. Um, I don't know, she, yeah, she, she's so hysterical all the time. I was trying to think if they had made this movie like in the 70s, they could have cast Geraldine Page or Faye Dunaway. They would have been neurotic, but somehow made it work. Nancy Kelly, again, like like Eileen Hecker, this is a stage performance. Maybe it worked. It probably worked on the stage when she won a Tony. I suppose when you watch this performance and see her go crazy every night that you feel in, that you must feel impressed in some way but i don't i don't know i also think that scene with her father again the screenplay is so stupid where oh I, i've been dreaming lately that i have been adopted and this now all comes out on this day when my daughter also kills a boy and i'm actually the daughter of a serial killer and i've given this bad seed to my daughter and I know it's not Nancy Kelly's fault that this movie is so stupid, but it's just impossible to take anything she does seriously. Um, I mean, she just decided to go with it, so kudos to her, but I'm pretty sure there could have been a way to make this better. This has been wonderful. Um, this movie, this lineup, everything that I have mentioned about camp comes full circle when we talk about Nancy Kelly in The Bad Seed. It is, if I had gone to the Met Gala in 2019, I would have dressed up as Nancy Kelly in The Bad Seed to go to the Met Gala. That, that is camp. 
And yeah, I, and you can you can have a costume. You can wear a ha a table in front of you all the time. Do this with my wrist. <laughs> do this all the time. It is ridiculous. I talk about performances all the time that are like, as a state as coming from stage, like really playing for the back of the room. Like Sandy Dennis plays for the back of the room, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And it's bad on screen. That's the example I'm using here. That's the example. Yes, you're wrong, but okay. No. Uh, oh, God. It now is, I, maybe, I maybe have to check out. It is, <laughs> it is terrible, and it gives, in my opinion, one of the worst supporting actress wins of all time. Uh, uh, stop, 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 stop. Nancy Kelly is wonderful, though. I love this so much because it is so ridiculous. It is one of the wildest things you could ever see. And then you're like, the Academy went for this. And I'm like, yes, because it is just glorious. And here's the thing. I will be the first to admit it. As much as I like it, is it a great performance? Fuck no, it is not great. But holy shit, do I love this nomination because it is so cuckoo-cuckoo, batshit crazy, two scoops of fucking nuts. Like it is out there. But it works. That campiness, the playing for the back of the room works for her here because look at the movie she's in. Look at the shitty script. Look at her stupid-ass daughter played by stupid-ass Patty McCormick. If we were to play that drinking game, Fritz, we're going to be as drunk as Eileen, Mc Eileen Heckert so quick. And so that's quick, yeah. what is glorious about this. I, I didn't know how Kristoff would react to it. I knew that you weren't a fan of it, but I knew that I would probably be alone with saying how much I love this performance because it is just so batshit crazy. This is fun. I'm glad she's got it. I am very surprised that she never worked again in movies after this. Genuinely surprised. But um, that's an old-looking bitch for 33! <laughs> I really wish I would have gotten that out of her performance, but it's it's, it's just nothing for me. Yeah, yeah I, I, I also can enjoy Cam, but this is just not enjoyable for me. Hey, I get it. I get it. I get it. Do you guys have anything else on Nancy Kelly before we move on? Uh, no, again, just, yeah, I, I, how can you mess... Again, how can you mess up killing your daughter and, and killing yourself seriously? Well, I, mean, I know they had to change this ending did. due to the production code, but... Uh. Well, let's see how you feel about horny Miss Babydoll. Because we have Carol Baker in her sole nomination as Babydoll Megan. Um, going into Oscar night, she is nominated at BAFTA for Foreign Actress... Nominated at the Globes for Actress in a Drama, but she wins a Globe for Most Promising Newcomer, you know, the category they got rid of after Pia Zadora paid for hers. And I would like to note that she also wins this Globe. They gave her a double win because she was also in Giant. So she has a Globe for that and this. And in Baby Doll, here we have this Tennessee Williams movie about a girl who, what is it, 19 or 20? 20, I think. She's right? on. She will be 20 tomorrow. Yes. yes, she'll be 20 tomorrow, and that is when she's supposed to have this deal with her husband where she, after a year of marriage, where she finally gives into her lady lust and vagina magic and is like, take me for all you are. But here's the twist. She doesn't want to do it because Carl Malden's pretty gross in this movie, and this movie is horny. Horny, horny, horny. Like, here's the thing. I am not what they call a gold star gay. I have been with women before. 
And I have never witnessed a woman like this to where I felt like I needed to mop my TV because she was just dripping with horniness. So, Kristoff, start us off. Uh, there are a lot of totally crazy things about Baby Doll. One of the craziest things is that Baby Doll is actually the name of her character. At one point, she's on the phone and saying her name, and she, her first name is Baby Doll. This is crazy. The, the entire performance is crazy. The film is crazy. She is this thumb-sucking Lolita-style big girl who is tapping into her sexuality without having a full grasp of it. It is very obvious she wants to fuck. It is very obvious she doesn't want to fuck with Carl Malden because Carl Malden is ugly. And she is playing coy and girly as some kind of defense mechanism. And it's just it's just amazing to see how she is how she is really baby dolling herself all through it. It's the perfect name for her. She, she, she's, she's playing it like a baby. She's playing it like a doll. She, she is a grown-up woman. Uh, she, she has... She, maybe she doesn't really know the details of sex, but she clearly knows what it is and how it's supposed to feel like. And when she has that scene with Eli Wallach on the swing chair, when I am almost certain he's fingering her all the time just below the screen and is really working on her like a predator while she is toying with him. It's just, it's amazing. And what I'm really surprised that she could have hemmed it up even more if she had wanted to. She could have gone into much more girly, she could have gone into much more horny, but she's she's just the the entire time she's on this fine line between innocent girly girl and very horny, horny woman. And she, she just hits the note perfectly. This entire film wouldn't work without such a performance at the center. It's just important that baby doll is someone who is at the same time innocent and very, very sexual, and she just hits every note of this character perfectly. And it's just, it's completely insane that this got an Oscar nomination in the 1950s. But I just love the fact that it got this Oscar nomination. I understand that crazy horniness as someone who isn't married, and literally we just went through a pandemic from like, literally all of 2020 having sex twice in the entire year. So I get that level of horniness that she's got. Um, that's understandable. And that, cause like we've kind of lived through that except for someone like Fritz who's married. And I hope that the ceiling fan drops on people who are married during the, <laughs> during the quarantine. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. Um, you know, but, people who are married don't have sex anymore. <laughs> I mean, that is also a thing. That is also a thing. But uh, uh, Fritz, what are your thoughts on baby doll? The funny thing is, I knew that these two, the, the, that all the movies in this category were pretty fucked up, but hearing you talk, you guys talk about them makes me realize again just how fucked up they really are. Um, yeah, this, this, this movie is also so batshit crazy. I'm also completely surprised that somebody in 1956 made a script out of this, went to a studio with it, and the studio said, yeah, okay, let's do this. And then they released it. 
Um, um, I said before we talked about Mildred Dunnick, I think Baby Doll is probably the only Tennessee Williams movie where I think the male characters are more interesting than the female characters. I think the dynamic between Carl Malden and Eli Wallach is, for me, the most interesting part of this whole story. And the movie, for me, could have been just about the two of them. Um, but, of course, we have Baby Doll. And I agree with Christoph that this is really perfect casting. I'm not sure if it's a perfect performance. Um, I think she, or, or rather, a perfect character. It is a tricky character because it really makes no sense at all. She is... She sleeps in a, in a cradle, she sucks her thumb, then she is horny, then she is a little girl, then she's horny again. Um, but Carol Baker does make it work. Um, where I would be a little bit critical is that I think she hit this note, but this note is then all she has to play for the entire movie. It, it is entertaining, but for me, it gets a little bit old at some point when they are constantly playing this. She and Eli Wallach are constantly playing this game of mouse and cat. I think after a while, for me, it gets a little bit old and boring. It's not her fault, but I don't think the movie really takes her character anywhere. I know that at the end, she might seem a little bit more wise or something like this, but don't think that the movie really does, does that. And from... The same year, we also had her in Giant, and I think that her performance in Giant was not too different from her performance in Baby Doll. So I know she, it was a, obviously it was calmed down, but I think her style was very much the same. So for me, this I think was mostly a case of great casting, so that they found an actress who really had the right style and right personality for this character. She does everything probably that you can do with this role. Um, in 1956, suggesting to be horny without being too obviously horny, being a small child, making this somehow work. I think she does that. But I think the part itself is not the greatest. Couple things. Number one, I'm so glad someone else felt that Eli Wallach was just straight up fingering her every time they were on scene together. Because I was like, something is happening here that we're not seeing. Number two. This is perfect casting, but it's also creepy because I, yes, she's an adult playing this role, and yes, the character is an adult, but her name is Baby Doll. She does the, these baby things. I kind of felt creepy watching this movie because in the back of my mind, I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a child. Like, I felt like a predator. And then you realize the Carl Malden character is that predator. And that is what's also like... Like, I, for some of, like, the state that I live in, for an example, um, what, what's, what's it called? Oh, the age of, uh... Age of consent? Thank, consent? thank you. Age of consent is 16 here. And I know, like, in France, they just lowered it to 14, so I don't know how it is in Germany. But even though that's still a thing here, it's still illegal without, with loopholes. You know what I mean? So it's like... It just made me feel icky, and I guess that's why the casting works, because Carol Baker sells it. She is fantastic. Um, she's really good here, and it, it works. Like, when she was showing up in Giant, I was like, where is she? What is she going to do? And then when they started having kids, I'm like, oh, wait, there she that's going to be her. So I had seen Giant a couple weeks ago, so I had seen Baby Doll months ago. I, I think I, like, live-tweeted it. And um, I was just like, so I didn't, 
I, I had Carol Baker in Baby Doll, and in the back of my mind, watching Carol Baker in Giant, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's very different. To me, it's very different. Um, I was actually a little shocked to think to to hear you say you think they're the same Fritz, and I love that because I didn't get that from that at all. Um, but I think she's fantastic here. This is this is again like I mentioned with Dorothy Malone. This is a Hayes Code movie that should have ha- should have in that time had this character die or go to jail, and nothing happens to her. She gets to live her horny life and just, like, leave a snail trail of juices everywhere she goes. Like, it's just, that's Baby Doll. And that's what is crazy to me, that, yes, 1956 produced this horny-ass movie. It's amazing. It's on HBO Max now in the United States. If you guys haven't seen it, watch it. Um, and of course, then you have Carl Malden, who was the best actor in A Streetcar Named Desire. So that was cool to see. But yeah, he's creepy. He's creepy in this movie. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Should he have gotten an Oscar nomination, Carl Malden? I would give it, I give him a nomination. Eli Wallace, I don't know if I would because I feel like Eli Wallach just kind of does the same thing throughout this. That's just me. What about you, Fritz? Mm, I think I would probably have given one to Eli first um, and then to Carl, but I would have been okay with both of them being nominees, but um, at the moment I cannot say who I would drop. I mean, you can drop James Dean, obviously, from the Best Actor lineup. Um, you can also drop Rock Hudson from the Best Actor lineup. Let's be serious here. Yeah, you probably can. I would, uh, I would drop him here. I would add him for Pillow Talk. I was gonna say, were you, would you Pillow Talk him? Yeah, I'm, I actually, I when I did my video and rewatched it, I might even give him the win. I love him so much in this. I w- okay, here's a fair question for you, Fritz. Are you giving him the win because of his acting or because of the bathtub scene? No, because of because of his acting. I think right. he's a really great comedian, actually. All right, all right. Shall we final nominee here? Of, of course, the best. Yeah, the best I've seen is not bad. Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, of course, of course. Catherine uh, Hepburn as Lizzie Curry in The Rainmaker. This is her seventh of 12 nominations. Um, Golden Globe nomination for Actress in Drama and BAFTA nom for Foreign uh, Actress. Uh, here's The Rainmaker starring her... And the dude from Elmer Gantry. I can't think of his name right now. Um, Bird Lancaster. Bird Lancaster, yes, yes. Wow, what a terrible Oscar win that Elmer Gantry was. Sorry, I said it. Um, I don't know how you guys feel, but that's just me. Um, And this is about a guy who is a con man, traveling salesman, who finds his way to this new town, and here is this family that live on a farm... They're going through hard times. It's not raining. And here's a little horny-ass housewife woman played by Catherine Hepburn who has this love-hate relationship with, like, her brother and her father and all these people. She falls in love. She's like, this man's a con man but falls in love. She is horny. She also needs a dick. Stat. everybody. Everyone in this lineup needs a dick. Stat. Nancy Kelly needs a dick. Stat. Um, so, it might help her, yes. <laughs> right? Uh, Christoph, what do you say? Okay, here's the, perf- here's the performance that Joey Gentile thinks is going to be my winner this year. I have two problems with this particular performance. Number one, Catherine Hepburn 
is not an ideal casting choice for a plain, bookish, uncharismatic spinster. Problem number two, she isn't even trying to play the character right. She is Her take on this character is basically playing it like she usually plays it, but with the body language of an awkward 12-year-old boy, hands hanging down and then sometimes coming up and down again. This is... This is how, at least in the first half of the film, she is playing it. And I frankly couldn't care less if she gets finally a man or if she dies a virgin. Uh, she is she is her headstrong, usual self. She, I, I love Kathleen Hepburn. I really love her a lot. This is just not in the range of characters that she probably could play perfectly. And this is quite frankly of all her Oscar nominations, by far my least favorite. Um, there's also no chemistry at all between her and Bud Reynolds. This might be Bud Reynolds' fault Thank as well as her own. So, sorry. <laughs> it would have been interesting. <laughs> That's right, okay. No one uh, can remember his name for this episode <laughs> outside of Fritz. Love that. <laughs> Uh, there's no chemistry, oh, but, but there's no chemistry between her and Bud Lancaster either. Uh, her, her performance gets better in the second half when she feels pretty and loses her 12-year-old boyish mannerisms. Um, I sort of like the chemistry she had uh, with uh, the sheriff character, which felt much more genuine than anything else. But... Um, I really think that she is the wrong actress for the part, and she doesn't do much to help cover the fact that she was badly miscast. So she's your winner, her. Got it. Cool. Nailed that. I I nailed that for you like Fritz nailed uh, Patty McCormick for me. Perfect. Uh, Fritz, what do you think? So um, actually have um, the, the first time I saw The Rainmaker again ages ago, I had the same feeling as Christoph that this was by far my least um, favorite Catherine Hepburn Oscar-nominated performance. Um, I think this is peak Catherine Hepburn mannerism, the way she moves her, her very uh, thin, slender body. She has this very way of putting her hand with the back of her hand in front of her mouth and stuff like this. There's a lot of mannerism that she does very often, and somehow this performance combines all of this in one, and I think it's sometimes just a bit too much. She had played these lonely spinsters before, but they always had a bit of class, like in Summertime or The African Queens, so they were, they were not these Western women, and I agree that she does not really work for this. Uh, I know um, Be Kind Rewind, she always, when she talks about Catherine Hepburn, she has... She, shows scenes from this movie from the 30s that I did not see yet, where Catherine Hepburn played some kind of mountain woman, um, which I think also did not work. And I also don't think it works here with this Midwestern style. Um, it's a bit too much very often. I also agree that she doesn't really have any chemistry with Burt Lancaster. But I also think that she gets... I don't... I don't but she was better on my rewatch than I remembered her. So she's not as over the top as I thought she would be. She's not as on the nose as I thought she would be. Um, she does have some touching moments in the end. Um, it's still not, by far, not my favorite of her Oscar-nominated performances. It might still be my least favorite of her Oscar-nominated performances. I don't know. Um, it's Yeah, she has certainly been better. 
but she's not that bad in the end as I thought she would be, as I had remembered her to be. You just pulled a hangnail. Ow. Sorry. Um, I just watched this for the first time the other night, and I um, was very pleasantly pleased that I liked this movie. And I wasn't too keen on Hepburn at first. And then I think her performance is the perfect example of, like, you got to give it time to build up and to, like, play. Because I think she got better as the movie progressed. And I'm, like, really enjoying her a lot in this movie. Here's the thing. I like every nominee in this lineup. This is, like, going to be one of those rankings for me where I just have to put people places because I'm like, ah. But I do have a clear winner for myself, I'm just saying. But I really like her. And it's not from what I've seen. So I've seen Summertime Up for her nomination. So from Summertime to On Golden Pond. And this is not anywhere for me for me at the bottom of her nominations that I've seen. Um, so I'm a little different on this one than you guys. Um, I think I like her more than you guys here, but I think she did pretty well. Um, she also feels a little too old for the part. That Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's because Burt Lancaster is the quote-unquote right age. I know that sounds weird because of Hollywood and what they do with women, but maybe like making Lancaster's character a little older would have worked better instead of having to, you know, conform to the man uh, the other way around. So, you know, there's that. Um, this movie... It's inter- it... well, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I, th- I just think it's interesting because usually we have these older actors cast with uh, younger actresses. And when I think of Burt Lancaster in the 50s, I mean, he was far too young for Shirley Booth. He was probably too young for Catherine Hepburn. He might have been, even been too young for Anna Magnani. So yeah. good for him to get all... Good for him to get all these get some experience here well my question to you guys really quick before we get to the rankings earl holloman won the golden globe for supporting globe, actor yeah. here but didn't get the oscar nomination i mean would you guys have done it given him the nomination oh holloman oh holloman is for me <laughs> okay i have thoughts on oh holloman oh holloman is for me the absolute worst thing about the entire film. He plays he plays this character as if he was a mentally challenged twelve year old boy. There's this is this is this is Petty McCormick level bad. I I really hate this performance. Oh God, Christoph and I uh, no, I actually liked him. I thought he was a <laughs> I thought he was a breath breath of fresh air. I think it was a very I don't know the movie felt very stagey and stale for me, and he. He did, he did add some humorous touch. I just remembered I looked at Wikipedia. Apparently, Geraldine Page played um, the Catherine Hepburn role on the stage. I actually cannot see her in this either because I just thought about who would in 1956 who would, who can we cast who's a little bit younger and fits this, and haven't come up with anyone yet. I mean, I could have seen Anne Blythe do this. She would have been the age for this. This would have been 10 years after Mildred Pierce, and I could have seen Anne Blythe do it. Yeah. Love that. Love that yeah. excitement. It's a, it's a creative thought, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Why I mean, did Deborah Carr? I think she could have done it. Yeah. I, I think she's too British. She's I'm, an actress. I don't know. I'm sticking with Anne Blythe. That's just me. 
All right. I think she also has too much class. Well, let's see who has the classiest of the class these rankings. Ready? Okay. As a reminder, your nominees for Best Supporting Actress were Mercedes McCabridge in Giant, Patty McCormick and Eileen Heckert in The Bad Seed, Mildred Dunnock in Baby Doll, and the winner that year was Dorothy Malone in Written on the Wind. Christoph, you are going to start us off with Fritz following, and I will end it each time. Okay. My number five is obviously Patty McCormick. This is just bad, ridiculously bad. One of the worst performances ever nominated for Best Supporting Actress. This is a clear five, and I haven't even I haven't even talked about category fraud. With it, with it or without it, five. Uh, my number five is Mildred Dunnock in Baby Doll. Um, barely in it, which does not have to be against her if she would have anything to do that in any way impacts the movie or overall storyline. But the fact that I did not get this here and that her big scene is also not that great, no, my number five. I'm agreeing with Christoph here. Number five is going to be Patty McCormick, not only because she is category fraud, she is one of the leads, um, but this is bad. Listen, even if she had been in lead, she'd still be number five for me. Um, sorry, Pats. My number four is uh, Mercedes McCambridge. She is in not very much of Giant. She is doing pretty much the same in a very short time frame. I wish she would have maybe have more time to develop a character, but as it is, it's a bit too one note for me. So Mercedes McCambridge is on four for me. Um, Mercedes McCambridge is also my number four. Um, I like her probably a little bit more than Christoph. I think she um, did create um, a character out of her nothing material and a person I get the feeling that I know for some reason. But yeah, she doesn't get enough to do to be higher than this. All right, Christoph, I completely did not guess you right. But also, too, like with the Mercedes McCambridge guess, like I was like, it's probably not going to happen, but I'll just be wild. Number four is Dorothy Malone. Um, listen, she is also category fraud. This movie is about her and Robert Stack. Everyone else is just, they are the meat. They are, and those two are the meat. Everyone else is the spice. I think she's wonderful. Um, I love that Fritz's jaw just literally dropped. I wish everyone could have seen that. Um, but the thing is, is that she's not a supporting character. She's got the screen time and she's got the storylines and the POV. Um, she, we all know that, you know, quote unquote, big stars, If you or if you weren't a big star, you went into supporting and that's what they did here. Um, she is she is the wind in Written on the Wind. So um, between the two category fraud ladies, she's the clear better one, but I got to put her at four. Sorry. Okay, so my number three is Mildred Dunnock. Mildred Dunnock, doesn't have a lot to work with and she is doing much more than uh, the material she gets is actually uh, what you would actually you would actually expect the material uh, the other ladies are far above her so I so it's number three for Mildred Donald for me so my number three is Eileen Hackard in the bad seat uh, again I like what she is doing I like um, the different energy she is bringing to the whole thing but just a bit too stagey for me. Now, I get to get to the actual supporting ladies, in my opinion. And uh, third is Mercedes McCambridge. 
there's not much she's got working for her here. Um, apparently, she's the sister. I still think she's the mother, but whatever. Potato, <laughs> potato. Um, no, but yeah, it's just there's not much going on for her. And um, she's fine. Nice gowns, I guess, but that's it. Okay, so I have uh, Eileen Hackard and Dorothy Malone remaining. I've been going back and forth on these two. Um, both have performances that are truly great, but eventually I'm giving the runner-up spot to Dorothy Malone, which means I'm giving the win to Eileen Hackard. Dorothy Malone is wonderful in her film. She is instigating a lot of the madness that's going on there. She is over the top. She, When she needs to be, uh, she is just what this movie needs uh, to be really this movie, this this level of enjoyable. But Eileen Hackard is really taking the little, the two scenes that she has, and she is running with them. She is commanding the attention. Uh, years after I've watched this, the first thing I remembered, even before how bad Petty McCormick is, that Eileen Hackard stole this film with basically nothing of screen time. Uh, you could say that she's not really supporting anyone. She's really drawing the attention to herself. But if you can do this with so little screen time, you just have to, you have to get the number ones, but for me. So I have the two category fraud performances left. Um, I actually agree that both of them could probably be lead, um, but I, yeah, it's always the question if you want to decide that you not want to support that, but I mean, they've been nominated, it's been done, so what am I to do? So I just go with it. Um, I give my runner up to Patty McCormack, which um, I know you guys <laughs> don't support, <laughs> personally think she was the best part of the bad seed which is does not mean that she is great but at least enjoyable on some level and but i give my win to dorsey malone who in my opinion is also an all-time great performance but worked really well with the material that she was given and in this lineup she probably makes the most sense and i think christoph i did predict eileen heckard and you predicted dorsey malone right yes I did not predict you to be so wrong on Petty McCormick, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all wanted a y'all want a twist. Uh, there it was. My runner-up is Mildred Dunnock, which I agree. Eileen Hackert is the best thing when it comes that she's the first thing I think of when I think of the Bad Seed. I loved her eleven years ago when I first saw the movie. Um, that is the one I think she should have won the Oscar for, not Butterflies. That's just my opinion. But um, Mildred Dunnock is really good in her one scene. Um, she, she, I don't, if, if Dorothy Malone wasn't a category fraud, let's say she is act in, in what I view an actual supporting actress, I still think she, Mildred Dunnock just would have gone down to third spot. Dorothy Malone still wouldn't have won over Eileen Hackard for me. Um, Hackard is just, gorgeous and tragic and great and all around wonderful so i gotta give it to her so look at that christoph we agree again in fact you just said that if you didn't category fraud dorothy malone would have the exact same ranking i'm speechless crazy so am i crazy <laughs> well let's see how we do with uh, lead actress as a reminder your nominees were Catherine Hepburn in The Rainmaker, Deborah Carr in The King and I, Nancy Kelly in The Bad Seat, Carol Baker in Baby Doll, and Ingrid Bergman was that year's winner with Anastasia. Christoph, take it away. 
it's painful for me to say this, but my number five is Catherine Hepburn. She is awful in this cast. She doesn't do a lot to make it better. Uh, I wish I could give her a bit more, but I cannot give rank her any higher than fifth. I give my number five, unsurprisingly, to Nancy Kelly. All I want to say, I hope when she tries to kill herself the next time, I hope she makes it. <laughs> oh my god, I love good dark humor. Also, she's been dead since 1995, so if you're listening and you just thought that was really bad, don't worry, she's already dead. Um... Like I said, I love all five of these performances, um, but I have to rank them and I have to put them somewhere. And I'm gonna put uh, Ingrid Bergman at five with Anastasia. Um, yes, she won this, but we all know this was a very political win. And I think if you take away the politics, and for me, if you, you're ranking them in this lineup, she's a clear five. Um, but again, this is not like a five where it's like, like a Saoirse Ronan in Atonement five, where it's like, that's a five. This is just a five. Or or a Petty McCormack in the Bad Seat Five. There it is. <laughs> Speaking of the Bad Seat, my number four is Nancy Kelly in the Bad Seat. She just, she is just fading in the background to me with so much other different kind of big acting around her. She doesn't really do much for me to make the film more enjoyable. Uh, so I'm giving her the number four. So I, I just switched with Christoph. My number four is Catherine Hepburn in The Rainmaker. Um, yeah, slightly miscast. Um, not one of her best performances. A bit too much sometimes. So yeah, mm, nothing to write home about. Well, Chris, or um, I'm so used to saying Christoph. Fritz, we agree here because I'm also putting Catherine Hepburn at four. Um, she's good. I like her, but her performance is a steady kettle that needs to be sitting on the pot for a little longer to really bubble over, and I can appreciate it, um, but I'm going to put her at four. Okay, so my number three is Ingrid Bergman. I really love what Ingrid does at the beginning of the film. I like a lot what she does at the end of it. I'm missing a bit how she got from point A to point B, and this is why I'm putting her only in third spot. Okay. And I agree with everything that Christoph just said. Okay, very nice. <laughs> I have to put Deborah Carr at three. I think she is wonderful in The King and I. And like I said, I spoke way too soon with The King and I. But I think she, with this lineup, we are caught between five ladies who are camp performances and camp film. I'm including Hepburn in that because The Rainmaker is pretty out there. But... Um, I think she's the perfect balance to all of them, and that's why I'm going to put her smack dab in the middle. Okay, so I have Carol Baker and Deborah Carr left. Both performances I really love a lot and would deserve the win in their way. Uh, I am giving Deborah Carr the runner-up spot uh, for the sole reason that this, for me, still is Jules Brunner's film. He is the one, he is the first person I think of when I think of the film. Whereas when I think of Baby Doll, I think of the Lolita-like Carol Baker. She is running away with the film. She is doing a very specific, very daring kind of performance. I just love how she is getting away with it. So I'm giving the win to Carol Baker. And I'm now switching everything that Christoph just said. 
Um, I'm giving my runner-up to Carol Baker and Baby Doll, and my win to Deborah Carr in the King and I, which also means that I think we both corrected, uh, we both correctly predicted the lead winners. Mm. Um, for me, when I think about the King and I, I think about Deborah Carr and not Yul Brynner, and when I think about Baby Doll, I think about Carl Malden and Eli Wallach first. <laughs> so everything switched. Um, Carol Baker is great; um, would also be a deserving winner. Um, I just think that uh, Deborah Carr has a little bit more character development and depth to her character than, um, than Carol Baker. That's why, I, why I'm giving her the win. Two performances stand in front of me. I've got both of them are ridiculous in the best ways. They are horny and tragic and both of them need a good dick down. And one is dealing with a murderous little cunt of a daughter and the other one is dealing with a murderous cunt of a husband. And they're both glorious. But I shan't tie here. I shan't. Carol Baker is my runner-up and Nancy Kelly wins this. Absolutely. <sighs> I thought Nancy Kelly, 11 years ago when I saw this, just like Eileen Heckard should have won. That never changed. Carol Baker did give her a run for that money, though. But oh my god. Both of them are great. I love them both. I love the ridiculousness of both of them, but Nancy Kelly is crazy. And the fact that the Academy embraced this, I love this performance. And I want to do that part on stage with the... I just dropped my mic, sorry. <laughs> uh, Nancy, Nancy, Nancy Kelly would have been my absolutely crazy prediction for you, but I, I thought, no, you, you won't. I thought, no, not that crazy. But uh, I, I underestimated you again. <laughs> well, listen, remember, you were the one who guessed my 1995 ties, so you still know me in a way. I'm yeah, still very proud of that. Very one, proud yeah. of that. But yeah, Nancy Kelly should have won this. So with that recap, I give both Bad Seed Women the lead actress for Nancy Kelly and Eileen Eckert for supporting Kristoff. I gave Carol Baker the lead and for supporting to Eileen Heckhardt. I give Deborah Carr the leading Oscar and Dorothy Malone supporting. Guys, this has been so much fun. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did. I had a lot. Very much so. Good. Kristoff, we broke your AQ. Cherry, Fritz, you came back for seconds. And I hope you both will come back again. Um, Fritz, tell the people where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter um, at Fritz and Oscars. And you can find me at YouTube with Fritz and the Oscars. Um, if you watch one of my videos, you will basically double the number of views. So if you want to do a good deed, there's your chance. And Christoph, do you uh, want you people can. to find you? <laughs> like, where do people find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Judge at Roy Snyder. You can find me on Sporkle as Mr. Whiplash, where I'm your curator for the actor and the German category. And you can find me on Letterboxd at, at Christoph N. So you see, I have a different handle everywhere, so I'm not very social media savvy, but good luck finding me. That's why I asked if you even wanted, because you are not very social media savvy. I wasn't trying to diss you. Um, I want to I give the listeners one more thing from you guys. Um, since you both are wonderful and been with us for a very, very long time, and Christoph really opened up my eyes and to a movie one day. You have to... What was the title of that? Last Yet Marine Bot. Yes. Christoph and I got on Zoom and watched it together, and it was wonderful. 
And he has really sent some great recommendations of German film to me. So if you both want to just plug one of your favorite German films that you think our listeners should listen or check out, what would they be? Just one. Anything by Fassbinder, if it's just one, then either go for Ali Fierits the Soul, which is probably his best known and most beloved movie, or go for Fox and His Friends, which is probably his gayest movie. It's not really his gayest movie. There, there, uh, are, there, there is Carell, but it's his gayest mainstream movie. Yeah, my problem is I'm really not that into German movies. <laughs> um, I, I would, can recommend not, most of the movies if you can. Yeah, you can, you can do that. I would ju just um, what I love. The thing that I love is um, so if you want to, if you think that Germans have zero sense of humor you're probably right in a way but i would recommend um movies by the comedian loriot um, if you want to know how germans can tick and how crazy they are in a very conservative way then here's two movies that uh that i i basically know them all from i know every line that he says he also has done so many different sketches i can say every single one of them. I absolutely love them. So if you ever, it's probably difficult with the translation, but uh, if there's ever a way for you to watch this, give it a chance. And there you have it. And cannot, cannot, cannot state this enough. Go check out Christoph's quizzes. They're a lot of fun. Check out Fritz's videos. They are movies. Shut up about it. We know they're long, but enjoy them. They're great. Like I said, pop a bowl of popcorn and enjoy um thank you guys so much i'm so glad that you guys came to do this this was so much fun and on the count of three we'll give a big big alvitasen hope i pronounced that right hopefully so uh, ready one two three alvitasen alvitasen yes. <laughs>